So good. Hey guys. Hello, hello. Oh, you guys are sweet. Man, you guys look good out there. What's up, y'all? Thank you guys. So sweet. Go ahead and take your seats. <laughs> Never. Hey, why don't we thank the band? What an amazing job they did tonight. Thank you guys so much. So cool. Hey, I'm Leslie LaGuardia together with my husband, George LaGuardia. We will be launching People Church Barcelona. Yes. And um, we apologize for Pastor Chris and Pastor Audrey not being able to be here tonight. Their flight got delayed and um, they're on their way, but I'm happy that I get to step in for them. Are you okay with that? All right, cool, cool, cool. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into it. Why don't you bow your heads and pray with me for the word. God, I thank you for what you're going to do here tonight, Lord. And I thank you for this word, Lord, that you have um, laid on my heart, Father, weeks ago. And I just thank you for the opportunity to share it here tonight, God. I pray that you may, uh, your spirit may work in this room tonight and that it does what it needs to do in this room for us not to walk out the same, Father. Do a work in our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So as many of you know, uh, George and I spent a couple weeks in Barcelona back in the month of September, and um, we had a chance to meet some people who were interested in being a part of People Church Barcelona, which was a great, great thing for us. And uh, we met some other folks that, um, you know, heard about us being there and were a little bit interested about what it was that we were doing. So we met with all sorts of people. And something that we noticed while we were there, and maybe you've heard about uh, that's happening in in Barcelona is there's a bit of political unrest happening in the state of Catalonia. Say Catalonia. Yeah, learning Spanish and Catalan already. Like it? Well, I'm here for it, so it's okay. <laughs> it's going to be all right. There is a little bit of political unrest in that state. Catalonia is a state in the country of Spain. Barcelona is the city, the capital. And what's happening there is that the people there want to be independent from Spain. That's what's happening. And, you know, we were really interested in understanding what that means for the church across the globe, right? What that means for the church in that country. And we were, uh, George was, not me, George was interviewing taxi cab riders, which I thought was super awkward, <gasps> pulling out his phone and recording them. I'm like, please put your phone away. But, you know, we were interested in hearing all sides of the story because we want to know once we're there as a church, how can we be an answer to the community there with this political unrest? Okay. And um, in some of our uh, interviews or whatnot, we were asking people that were born and raised in Barcelona, hey, what do you think about this? What's your point of view? What is your perspective? Do you think that this city and this state will be independent from this country? And we heard a varying different opinions. And one really strong opinion that stuck with me is like um, a native person from Barcelona said, you know, in order for us to be independent from Spain, we need to, number one, have our own currency. We would have to separate from the euro, and that would be a big step, and we're not prepared to do that. And the second thing they said was, in order for us to be independent from Spain and be our own country, we would need an army, and we don't have that either. Without an army, how can a country protect its people? How can you protect the borders of your country without an army? And it brought me to this thought that in kingdom, we need armies. In kingdom, the way we protect our people, the way we protect the planet 
is with and through an army. And we're in this series, Receiving Issues, and the title of today's message is Authority Issues. So I'm here for it. Are you here for it? We're a part of God's kingdom. We are placed under the authority of him. When you're under his authority, you have access to everything that is in him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I want to just read this verse really quickly. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which, is, which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Authority is God's idea. Here's what the God idea about authority is. If you take nothing else away tonight, you need to know that authority belongs to you. You have authority. You are not a victim of your circumstance. You don't have to lay down to anything that has ever happened to you, is happening to you, or will happen to you. Today, you need to know that you have the authority given by Jesus Christ to rise up and walk, to rise up and no longer be defeated, to rise up and live in victory. Just a sidebar. If we're meant to be an army in God's kingdom, we need to reconcile authority. We need to understand that we cannot be operating outside of it. Authority is God's idea. Authority is the thing that he operates through. If you can't submit to authority, I highly, highly doubt we'll be able to grow in life. I think we're living in a generation where the idea of authority is a scary thought. The idea of submitting is a scary thought, but it's a God idea. And he says in his word, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, God placed those things there. Authority is in place to protect. Authority is in place to have order. Authority is a place where he wants to operate in you and in me. I hope that this is speaking to you, okay? I know it's a bit strong, but I promise you, God's going to speak through it, okay? Now, if we're meant to be this army, we're, we're saying, okay, God, I'm down with it. I want to be a soldier for Jesus. I can do a thing. There's two things we need to do if we're meant to do that. If we're meant to be this army for kingdom, for God to use on this earth to bring heaven here, two things, preparation and preservation. You need preparation and preservation. Some of us say, yeah, God, sure, use me. I want to be in your army with no preparation. I'm not preparing myself, though, so I don't know. I don't know that it's going to work that way. Yeah, God, I think I can do that. Preservation. What is this girl even talking about with preparation and preservation? Well, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) 
you have to prepare yourself in the word of God. You cannot be in an army fighting against flesh and blood. You need to know that your enemy is not fighting you in flesh and blood. It's in the spirit. And the way you combat as an army in kingdom is through the word of God. And if the enemy, if Satan can quote scripture, you better know how to outquote him. Okay, you need to know it better than he does. We need to know it better than he does because he knows it very, very well. And sometimes he wants to twist it and use it against you. But when you know the truth, he can't. He loses. And that's how we advance kingdom as an army here on earth. Preservation. Preservation. This is, this is a little bit of a concept that, you know, I, I haven't really flushed out. And the only thing I can think about is, bear with me, fruit preserves, Okay. I went through a little DIY season, and I thought I was like Martha Stewart or something. And I think it's cute you guys gave me water in a mason jar. Because I do remember trying to, like, make cleaning supplies with, like, orange peels and vinegar, which smelled horrible. And my husband was like, why are you using vinegar? I don't know. I thought I was Martha Stewart, right? But, you know, in my DIY season, I figured, hey, you know, let's make some jams and, like, let's make preserves. It's fall and apple butter and all the things, right? And basically what you're doing is you're taking something fresh in a season. You are harvesting it, preparing it, and you are canning it for you to use it in a future season. That is what preservation is. In order for us to be an army advancing God's kingdom, we need to preserve. But some of us are allowing life to use us up in the right and wrong seasons. I think God wants to preserve something in you today that he can use in the future. But we're too busy just dishing it out today. If we're meant to be an army to advance God's kingdom here on earth, we need preparation in his word and preservation. And the way we're going to do that is through prayer. How good is your prayer life? Because if you're talking to God on a daily basis, I promise you there is some preservation happening. There are some things that he wants to use in your future season that he's going to prepare you for in that current season. So that's just two little, two little points, two little nuggets for you on being this army that we need. Is this okay? Cool. So I want to take you to the Old Testament because I love it. Sorry. Awkward moments with water. Um, so I wanted to uh, just share this simple thing. I felt like this was a, pre- a message that God was preparing in my heart. But sometimes you don't know when you should speak it. And I found it to be very interesting that this is the message that God gave me for this weekend. Especially in a week where there's like a little bit of what I would call persecution against women who preach the word of God out there. Okay. And I feel it's interesting that God's using a woman today. And we're going to talk about a woman in the Bible that God uses. Is that okay? Okay. Uh, Her name is Deborah. Has anyone heard of her? Good old Debbie. Old Testament. The Bible says she was the first and only woman who was a judge for Israel. I love this so much. It says that she used to sit under a palm tree. I'm like, did she have a pina colada in her hand? I'm just wondering. No? Okay. Moving on. But the Bible also says that she was wise and influential. I'm like, well, I'm down with that too. 
And see, the people of Israel, just to give you a little context of what's happening at the time, they were under captivity by the Canaanites. And uh, the Canaanite king, the Bible says, harshly oppressed them. And a lot of the complaints I would imagine that are being brought to Deborah are the fact that they are being harshly oppressed by the Canaanite king. And the Bible also highlights that this kingdom who were oppressing the Israelites had 900 chariots of iron. I don't know why that was key, but when the Bible highlights something, you have to circle it, highlight it, and dig. And that's what I did, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But Deborah, I think, may have gotten a little fed up with all the complaints of her people because they were being so harshly oppressed. She calls the leader of Israel's army... And she gives him this word. It's in Judges chapter 4, 6 to 7. We're going to read it together. She says to the leader of Israel's army, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go, take with you 10,000 men and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak, this is uh, Israel's commander. If you go with me, he says, I will go. But if you don't go with me, he says to Deborah, I won't go. Certainly, Deborah says, I will go with you. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. I find it interesting that the Bible highlights that there were 900 chariots of iron. And when I thought about that, that why would this commander of this army of Israel be afraid of this other army that is oppressing them? Yeah, 900 chariots, if you put it into perspective... Chariots of iron, that means they were probably fast. I get it. If you put two guys on a chariot, that'd be like 1,800 dudes. Okay. But when I read the Bible, it says, go take with you 10,000 men. And I'm thinking, if 10,000 men from Israel are being called into action, why would they be afraid of maybe 900 to 1,800 guys? Like, they had strength in numbers. But when you dig into this verse, you find out that in an earlier season, Israel was taken into captivity because of those 900 chariots. So they were living, current situation was, they're living in fear because of what had happened to them in a previous season. How many of us are in fear because of things that have taken place in previous seasons? We cannot allow the past to dictate what's going to happen to us in our future. That is not how the kingdom or the army of God's kingdom needs to operate in fear. Why do I love this story so much? Because it gets better. I love it. The Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. The drama. Can you believe it? So what happens next? When uh, the Canaanites hear that there are 10,000 men assembled, they're heading to a mountain. I'm sorry, but that's a rumor of war. They gather their chariots, they gather their army, a huge battle ensues, and guess what happens? Just as God promises, he delivers these armies. He delivers Israel from their enemy to the point where the entire army is, army is wiped out, and the only person left is the commander, Sisera, left on that battlefield. They chase him, the Bible says. 
to the point where he's running on foot by himself. He finds a tent, and we're going to pick it up at verse 21. He finds a tent, and in this tent, he finds a, a young lady named Jael. And he says, hey, can you uh, hide me here? And if anyone asks if there's someone here, tell them no. She's like, okay, cool, sure, I'll hide you here, enemy. Gives him something to drink. He falls asleep. She covers him with a blanket. And what does she do? While her enemy's asleep, she gets a peg from the tent and a hammer. And the Bible says, homegirl took that peg, put it on the brother's temple, and she hammered that nail into his head while he was asleep. Here's the enemy, laid asleep in her tent, and all she had to do was drive a nail through his temple. And God's people are delivered. God's people are set free. The Bible says they had 40 years of peace because God used a simple little girl who knew who her enemy was, showed up at her doorstep, and took him out. I'm almost concerned because I think she was probably a little bit prepared and she had preserved herself for a season such as that, in that moment. Why do I love this story so much? Because <sighs> it has girls in it, I guess. I have two points for you. You ready for them? This is why I love this story so much. Number one, God uses anyone who is willing. First, he used a woman. Not just one, but two in this story. They're the heroes in this story. How are we allowing him to use us today? Are you counting yourself out? Is someone counting you out? You can't afford for that to happen. God will use anyone. All you need is willingness. If there's willingness in your heart, God will use it. The second thing that I love so much about this story is that God uses anything that is available. If you're too busy for God, it's cool. He'll just move on to the next person who's available. A simple girl, a simple tool. She didn't have to draw a, a, a knife or a sword. She didn't have to, you know, come out like slanging, whatever that means. What's in your hand that God can use today? What, what's in there? What can God use that's in your hand right now? Whatever's in your hand, God wants to use it to bring victory to the people in your life. He wants to use it to bring victory into your life. And he wants to use it to bring glory to his name. I uh, want to read Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, as the band comes up. See, they're making their way. And I want to just go back to this point about these 900 chariots of iron. That this, this people, who were obviously outnumbered their oppressors, couldn't get over the fact that this other army had 900 chariots. And if you dig a little deeper, Deuteronomy chapter 20, God speaks to his people. And this is what he shares. I'm going to have to read it off here because I didn't print it on my notes. But it says, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and any army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them. Because the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, will be with you. When you are about to go into battle... The priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say, hear Israel. Today, you are going into battle against your enemies. 
Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Do not panic or be terrified by them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you victory. This verse, these instructions are given to them way before those 900 chariots came along. And I highly doubt that they were prepared or preserved for when those 900 chariots actually came. And then when they came and took them over, they were afraid of them. But then God delivers them once again through the hands of a woman who was willing to stand up and go after what belonged to them, who was willing to stand up and not live in fear, but stand by the word that was spoken over her generations ago. What words have been spoken over you and your life? What has been laid upon you by previous generations that God wants to release you into today in this season? God needs an army here. God is ready to move. He just needs a hearts that will, hearts that are willing. He needs hearts that are prepared and hearts that are preserved for him and his kingdom. I love so much that the Bible highlighted that part about her, uh, Deborah sitting under that palm tree. I love palm trees. Anyone else? Am I alone there? You see a palm tree, what do you think about? Come on. Vacations, beaches, warm weather. We are all about that life. But in ancient times, palm branches symbolized goodness, well-being, and victory. She sat at a tree that represented those three things. And those are the things that God wants to hover and hang over your head today. He wants goodness, well-being, and victory over you and your life. I also find that it's interesting. If you skip on over to the New Testament, Jesus, when he comes into Jerusalem, the people, what did they greet him with? Palm branches. They laid them down at his feet and they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Little did they know that just a week later, those same people will be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Give us the murderer instead. They were exchanging Jesus for the murderer. I think what's interesting is that the people struggled to believe that Jesus was the son of God. See, they thought that their deliverer, their Messiah, was going to be a great commander of a great army that would come on a white horse ready to kill their enemies and set them free from captivity. But it was how they thought it should be. The Roman army at the time who held them in captivity at that time. But Jesus didn't come for small things. He came to release us with a bigger picture. He didn't come to just be a general of an army to wage war. He came to set the captives free, but by his death and his resurrection so that we can have freedom in him. I find it so interesting that our Savior loved us so much that he was willing to humble himself. He didn't show up to those gates on a white horse. He came on a donkey. He did that for several reasons, one of them being that it was prophesied that the Messiah would come on a donkey. The thing is, Jesus is going to return on a white horse. Clothed in victory is what the Bible says in the book of Revelation. But that's not going to happen until he comes back for his church. 
when he returns for you and for me, and when we are with him in glory, he comes on that big white horse. He says he will have eyes like fire to come back for his bride because he loves us, and it'll be time for us to be with him. I don't know where you stand in your relationship with Jesus today, but can I just tell you that all of these stories and all of these wars and armies that rise and fall, all of it, it's all just one big, giant love story for your heart and for mine. Everything that's in that book, every story is because he loved you. He wanted deliverance for you. He wanted you to have the life that you deserve. Good, well, and victorious.